So, hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of the Public Node podcast with myself, your host, Sam Connor. I've got a great guest here, Rodko Albright, and I'm really excited. He is the CEO and founder of BitBonds. But before we jump into that, I want to remind you who Public Node is. So Public Node is a nonprofit organization led by the Stellar community members working together to support the open and inclusive Stellar network. So Rodko, man, how you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing very well. Thank you. And thank you for having me. I'm really excited about your project, and so I'm looking forward to uh, to learning more, as I'm sure a lot of the members in the Stellar community are as well. You know, before we get into the nuts and bolts, you know, something that I, I really uh, am excited about when it comes to Stellar is the ability to connect people from all over the globe. And so if you don't mind, I'd like to kind of start off a little bit about where you're from. Uh, what part of Germany? Because I know you guys are in Germany, but what part of Germany is Bitbond uh, headquartered in? So we're headquartered in Berlin, which is the capital of Germany. And we have an office that is pretty much in the center of the city. However, not all of us are actually based in our office because we also work together with developers, for example, who work remotely. And also two of our employees actually don't live in Berlin, but live in other parts of Germany. So we're a little bit of a decentralized team, but of course, most of you know our activity does happen in Berlin at our headquarters. You know, I was looking at Berlin. Is it true that Berlin has more waterways than Amsterdam, Stockholm, and Venice combined? Is that really true? I can neither confirm nor deny that, <laughs> <laughs> because to be very honest with you, I don't know. Berlin definitely does have a lot of waterways. If they add up to be more than those three cities that you just <laughs> named, I'm not so sure. Maybe it's just an urban <laughs> legend. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Now, I read that there are nine castles in Berlin. Have you had a chance to visit them? So there is a lot of castles here in Berlin and around the city. And I've actually had the chance to visit a lot. I don't know whether it was all nine, mm -hmm. but it's definitely something that you do as an activity in your free time, maybe on the weekend when you want to go and see something nice, see some history. Uh, normally there's huge parks attached to these castles. So it's definitely worthwhile going there. And I have seen quite a few of those castles. Man, that's exciting. There's no castles where I'm from. I'm also, I'm a real big fan of art. I love music and just all sorts of art. And I did read that there's 200 museums. But in addition to that, I've read that it is the home of the longest open air gallery in the world. Now, have you have you had a chance to visit this and what is it like? Yeah, so that's got to be the so-called East Side Gallery, which effectively is a relatively long part of the former Berlin Wall which wow. um, had a total length of roughly 40 kilometers. A lot of parts of that wall don't exist anymore. However, there's one big piece that is easily half a mile to a mile long where there's a lot of artwork on that wall. So a lot of graffiti is on there, but not just graffiti, also like types of paintings, then I would say abstract images, then also political depictions of certain situations. So that's that's something that's super exciting. And even Berliners would like to go there, you know, every once in a while. It's something that you can get never tired of. Wow, wow, wow. Well, that's cool, man. That's really cool. Thanks for the little background. So on to you now. Prior to Bitbond, can you share a uh, brief background of yourself? Very happy to. I have a background in economics and finance. I started my career as a trader at Deutsche Bank in London. 
and after that, I continued my career uh, in management consulting, but also mostly in relation to banks and financial services. During that time, I had the opportunity to both work on projects in Europe, where I'm from, but also in Western Africa. For example, I spent six months uh, on a project in Nigeria, where I supported, uh, as part of a bigger team, of course, the merger of two Nigerian banks. So... Yeah, I have on the one hand I have a diverse background because I have seen a lot of different types of companies and projects. On the other hand, everything is relatively focused on finance and financial services. Now, I read somewhere that in the beginning Bitbond was intended to be a peer-to-peer Bitcoin lending platform. I'm just curious what motivated you in the beginning to dedicate your career in blockchain? Yeah, so I was in a lucky situation to hear about Bitcoin for the first time in 2012. And already at that time, I was thinking about starting a company which was effectively a lending business. And we had the goal to do a cross-border lending uh, operation. And one of the challenges that we ran into was extremely high payment costs for cross-border transactions. And so I thought, well, let's look into this internet money that I've heard of earlier, and maybe that could help us to bring down remittance fees and, and transaction fees. And so we originally founded Bitbond as an SME lending platform utilizing Bitcoin for payment processing. Right. So that goes into the, my follow-up there was that I did read that Bitbond is known as the first ever global SME lender. Can you, I guess, briefly explain to our listeners what the legacy SME market is and, and how it worked prior to the implementation of Bitbond? Yeah, so prior to that, you had mostly local markets and you had markets that operated, for example, in one country where investors and borrowers on such a peer-to-peer lending platform would meet that base in the same country and located in the same country. Over time, Bitbond was founded and we went from zero to global, which also definitely had its challenges. But in any case, we we have shown, I think, that you can do cross-border lending at scale. So we have kind of changed the concept through that. At the same time, we also automated the credit assessment, which is an important part of of a lending operation. And so I think this is an aspect that other platforms might also have been inspired by. Okay. So with the SME market, I know a lot of listeners may not quite understand it. Why do you believe there's such a large funding gap in the current environment? Well, the thing is, SME lending is actually relatively hard to get right. And the credit assessment is one part of that. And then the other part is the refinancing. And so you need to put a lot of different components together in order to run a successful lending operation. And also what we have learned, for example, today we've changed the business model and we're not doing SME lending the way we used to when we started out. Today we primarily focus on providing credit scoring and underwriting software, which we've developed quite far. And we utilize what we learned about payment processing and about effectively tokenization in other parts of our business. So today, Bitbond, on the one hand, is related to SME lending through the credit scoring software that we have and that other parties are using. But at the same time, also, we have transferred our blockchain know-how into other lines of business, which are related to tokenization and tokenized securities. So we also have learned a lot for us. For example, the refinancing side was challenging. And so we have chosen to take a different path there. But at the same time, I think we learned a lot and other companies today can leverage the expertise that we've built there. 
Oh, that's great. So how does Bitbond utilize Stellar today? So we primarily utilize Stellar for asset tokenization. And we primarily provide third parties such as uh, banks and other intermediaries with the software so that they can use Stellar in order to tokenize securities, in order to tokenize loans, in order to tokenize even real assets such as art or real estate. So that's one part of it. And the other part is that we are providing software so that banks can issue stable coins. So for example, euro, US dollar denominated tokens that represent a fiat value. And so because in the lending operation, we have been dealing a lot with payment processing ourselves and the expertise that we built there, we are now making available to banks and other financial institutions so that they can use the technology that we built. You mentioned utilizing anchors. Can you share some of the main payment processes or anchors used by Bitbond? There is one that is going live relatively soon where look out for a big announcement in the next uh, two or three weeks where a bank, for example, that is based here in Germany, is utilizing the Bitbond software, which as the underlying protocol uses Stellar to issue a stablecoin, a euro-denominated token. And that, in fact, will be the first bank in Germany and probably all over Europe to utilize Stellar as a public permissionless protocol on one hand to issue their own stablecoin. So that's something that we're really excited about. That will be actually the first one out of the regulated financial services space that will do that. At the same time, we have a lot of other companies in the pipeline that want to do very similar things. So I hope that in six months from now, we will see more than just one bank doing that. But right now, we will see one bank taking the lead on this. Man, that is huge. You just dropped a, dropped a bomb on me today, man. That, <laughs> that's, that's beautiful. So from my knowledge... As you said, that this is the first in security tokenization going on, definitely in the German market and perhaps even the globe. Please share the regulatory licenses that Bitbond was able to achieve. What we've done last year is we've utilized Stellar to issue a tokenized bond, or you can call it also a security token offering, an STO. And this was a public securities offering. And when you want to do a public securities offering, typically what you need uh, is a prospectus that has been approved by the regulator. This process is relatively similar across the globe and in most countries. And so what we have done is, at the time when we wanted to issue our tokenized bond, there were no precedent cases. So what we have done is we've gotten in touch with the regulator and we're trying to figure out what is a feasible technical and legal setup. And once we've done that, which took us roughly six to eight months, we have drafted a proper securities prospectus for a tokenized bond, as we now call it, which at the end of the day is a dematerialized security. It's a security which doesn't have a paper certificate anymore. And we were in the fortunate situation that the regulator has approved this prospectus. So we had an approved prospectus by the regulator, and we were the first company that received the approval for such a project. You touched on something uh, just the other night. I was talking to my son and just talking to him about, you know, some of these projects, you know, yourself and a couple others. And so something you said just kind of touched me was that you said it, it didn't exist. And, you know, that's one thing that he's learning through me, uh, through all you guys experiences is, you know, when something doesn't exist, you think of ways to make it happen. <laughs> so that's really inspiring. Even to me, that's awesome. 
Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think that's kind of the entrepreneurial mindset that, you know, entrepreneurs in general have, right? Because often you run into roadblocks, you want to do something that you're excited about that you think has a lot of utility for other people. But then, of course, if it was easy, then someone would already have done it. And what, what you need to do is you need to look for ways for solutions, right? I think being driven by looking for a solution is one of the core, I would say, aspects of entrepreneurship. And of course, you know, every entrepreneur is, is running into such challenges and every entrepreneur that is successful will at some point and rather often have found ways to solve things that others haven't solved before and discovered things that others may not have discovered before. Right. So going back on Stellar, as this is a Stellar community podcast, what can you share are some of the unique capabilities you found on Stellar leading to your decision to choose them? Were And also to kind of add on to that, were there other blockchains that were considered? So especially before we have conducted our security token offering last year, we did a relatively comprehensive evaluation of different protocols. And of course, there are many factors by which you would make that decision. And it's never black and white. It's not like there was only one solution and it's a perfect solution and everything else doesn't work. But there's always nuances between the different protocols. However, there were several factors that were highly positive about Stellar and that have proven to be right even after the fact, which is a big mm -hmm. confirmation of the technical capabilities of Stellar as a protocol. One that is extremely important is reliability of the network. Of course, Ethereum is an important competitor of Stellar if you look at tokenization. But when you're in the regulated market, when you have a regulated security, then you need to be able to rely on settlement, for example. Um, you issue the security, and at some point you pay coupons, you pay dividends, and these things are determined by the prospectus. And you are legally bound, you are liable to actually delivering upon the promise that you put into the prospectus. Now, if a transaction won't be confirmed the moment that it's supposed to be confirmed. But for example, the network is congested and it takes several hours, takes a day or so, then you might even be in default depending on what the legal terms of the offering are. And so this was one very important aspect why we chose Seller because compared to most other protocols, it's far more scalable and has a much higher transaction throughput per second. So this was one key aspect. I could talk wow. about this forever. I'll just name one or two other aspects <laughs> that were important because otherwise we'll Please. be here for the next three hours. Please, man. Break, <laughs> break the knowledge down, baby. Break the knowledge down. <laughs> one other important aspect is transaction fees. First of all, even if transaction fees may be relatively low on other protocols, the important thing about Stellar is that they are predictable because they are not mm. determined by a market for transaction fees but they are set as a pretty much hard-coded feature in the protocol. And with that, you know already before a transaction happens, with 100% reliability, what's actually the fee that will apply to these transactions. And when we compare that to some other protocols, to proof-of-work protocols, for example, you don't know that because you have a market for transaction fees, which definitely has some positive aspects. But again, in the context of regulated securities, It is a problem if you don't know upfront what are going to be the transaction fees. And this is something that Stellar has got. And this is a huge advantage compared to many other protocols out there. 
a lot of them, again, function on proof of work as a consensus mechanism. And then maybe one third aspect, and then I'm finishing up this fanboy part about Stella, um, <laughs> the, the, the incorporated decentralized exchange that's part of the Stella protocol. It's also something that's extremely neat and extremely helpful. If you look at the BB1 token that we issued last year, we had over 1,200 retail investors in that offering, and there's actually a substantial trading volume on the SDEX uh, in the BB1 token. The outstanding face value of the bond is 2.6 million euros, and over 10% of that has already been traded through the SDEX, uh, which is a relatively high level of liquidity for such an actually niche product, right? If you look at the traditional bond market, then secondary trading is normally very low and bonds aren't actually traded that often. So if we compare that to what we have achieved with Bitbond under the help of sell-off, of course, as a, as a protocol and with the SDEX, then the secondary liquidity that we've had so far is really amazing. And so these are three out of many other important factors why we've chosen Stellar over other protocols. That was really good. Thanks for sharing. You know, the DEX is something that definitely gets overlooked. I think one other thing that you mentioned in regard to the fees, a lot of people talk about the cheap transaction fees, but the dependability is something that it's obvious, but... I underappreciated, and you're absolutely right. I, I didn't think of the huge significance and impact that that has from a business perspective. So thanks for enlightening me on that. That was really good. I took a note of that. <laughs> you mentioned in the last example, the BB1 token. For the listeners checking in with us, can you describe what the BB1 token is and what it represents? Yeah, very happy to. So at the time when we launched the... BB1 token, we had the goal to refinance our operations with the token offering. And so we designed the BB1 token as a bond. Now, if someone is not familiar with the bond, a bond is pretty much like a loan. So you borrow money from someone else in order to deploy those funds for a certain use. However, the difference between a loan and a bond is with a loan, you typically have one lender, such as a bank or another company that would lend you money. In the case of a bond, you have typically multiple investors, multiple lenders that are contributing to the total amount that you would like to borrow. And the second thing that differentiates a bond from a loan is that if you are an investor into a bond, you can typically trade your share in that bond. While when you give out a loan, when you're a lender, you typically hold on to it until maturity. So let's assume it's a, I don't know, our BB1 token is a 10-year bond. We borrow the money for 10 years. In the meantime, during the lifetime of the bond, we pay something that's called a coupon, which is another word for interest in the, in the context of a bond. And then at maturity, which is after 10 years, we repay the full face value of the bond. But if you're an investor into the BB1 token, you can trade it on the SDEX, for example. While if you are a lender to a loan, you would typically need to hold on to it until maturity. And in the case of 10 years, it's relatively long and you may not want to hold an asset for such a long time. So a bond typically provides a certain number of advantages compared to a loan. But at the end of the day, from the perspective of the issuer, which in this case is Bitbond, it's a way to borrow money. And the reason we have launched it was to refinance our operations. At that time, it was mostly SME lending. But by now, as I mentioned earlier, 
we're not doing SME lending directly anymore. So we're utilizing the funds on the one hand for SME loans, but also to finance our own operations, which was one other use case that we described in the offering. And there's one other aspect that we didn't even predict so much about the BB1 token. Many others didn't know and didn't expect that a dematerialized security under EU, under European regulation as possible. And when others have seen this, that was the moment when we got approached by banks, by other financial intermediaries, whether we would share the tokenization technology with them as a service. And so the tokenized bond that we issued last year at the same time was a way to raise awareness for tokenization for Stella as a protocol because also the banks that we're working together with now in most cases actually utilize the Stella protocol, which is something that probably was there no BB1 token, probably fewer banks would be utilizing the Stella protocol today. So are these new banks also leveraging the BB1 token or is it represented in another format? The banks use Stella as a protocol, but they don't use the BB1 token directly. For them, the BB1 token is more of a showcase, which proves to them that the technology works, the underlying protocol works, and the legal structure that we have chosen works. So for them, it's more of a showcase and they utilize the technology that we built in a very similar way. However, they don't use the BB1 token directly. Okay, makes sense. And so uh, you mentioned that through your success that there's has led to a lot of other entities approaching you to utilize your software to issue similar STOs. Is it possible for you to run down maybe some of the partnerships that you guys have had recently? Yeah, yeah, very happy to. So one example is a Munich-based bank, which is the one that is going to issue this uh, euro-denominated stablecoin. So that's one partnership that we have. Then we work together with a British bank that has a very strong footprint in Southeast Asia. And we're creating a bond issuance platform for them where the bonds are being tokenized and are being made accessible to retail investors. A lot of bond markets around the world are very institutional driven. So only professional investors, only large asset managers have access to it. But when you tokenize these bonds, you can have smaller denominations the minimum investment amount is smaller and therefore it's more accessible to retail investors. And so this is one thing that we're doing with a British bank. And maybe one other example that's worth mentioning is we're working together with a company that is tokenizing real estate. And we right. allow them to invest into real estate properties that are tokenized and where the minimum investment is just 10 euros. So much, much smaller than if you had to buy an entire apartment or an entire house. So also the aspect of accessibility is very important. Yes. And I can tell from experience that, it, you know, for the average person, it could take many years to save up to the point where you can invest in even a small property. So 10 euros is, is definitely working towards that financial inclusion goal that Stella really prides itself on. You know, going back to, to Germany. Germany was is known as blazing fast ahead, and but I've read reports of some concern with the speed of some of the much needed regulatory clarity needed, such as with the Blockchain Bonds Act. Can you shed some light on the current regulatory environment and where you see it going? Yes. Yeah, so about a year ago, the German government published its blockchain strategy, which in the first place was a relatively big achievement because. Germany is rather known for being relatively conservative and not very focused, especially on financial innovation. However, the German government stated that they plan to make our 
securities regulations technologically neutral, which effectively means that you can issue tokenized securities under the existing regulatory framework. And they promised to issue a so-called Electronic Securities Act by the end of last year, which would allow issuers to issue tokenized bonds. However, that process has slowed down significantly. But the good news is that now this Blockchain Act or Blockchain Bond Act, as you call it, has Mm -hmm. been released and will most likely become the law by the end of the first quarter next year, 2021. And this is a huge step. So on the one hand, it's taken more time than was originally planned. On the other hand, it's really happening, which is a very, very good thing. And on top of that, the German government also stated that the tokenization of securities will not only be applied to bonds, but going forward, they also want to change legislation around equity instruments, such as stocks, and you will also be able to tokenize those. So overall, things can always move faster, and I would be happy if the government was making these moves faster. At the same time, though, it must be said that we're in a fortunate situation that these things happen at all, and that the legislation to dematerialize securities and to open them up to be tokenized on protocols such as Stellar is definitely coming. That is great news. Listening to you, they're doing a lot right now. But what do you feel? I mean, you've been knee deep in this for so many years now. What do you feel the industry still needs from regulators to further stimulate growth? One big topic that's being discussed a lot is a CBDC, a central bank digital currency. And of course, first of all, this is a topic that sits with the central bank. But at the same time, regulatory aspects are also important. Because if a central bank decided to issue a CBDC, The regulation would also need to allow banks and other capital market participants and retail investors to utilize the CBDC in payments, in securities, transaction settlement. There are plenty of use cases for that. And this is one thing where we would need to have regulatory clarity. Then also, if you look at tokenized securities, right now, when this Blockchain Bond Act will be implemented the way it is drafted right now, on the one hand, it will allow issuers to issue tokenized bonds. However, stock exchanges and securities exchanges are still regulated in a way that they require the securities that they list to be centrally deposited, which means Mm. that you would need to register your tokenized security actually with a central securities depository. This is a very technical thing, but it makes a huge difference whether you have to do that or not. Because if you don't have to do that, then you have a much more efficient settlement process. While if the regulation does require you to settle through a CSD, then you actually give up a lot of the efficiency gains that you want to have through tokenization. And so what needs to happen is that the central securities depository regulation needs to allow securities exchanges to list tokenized securities without having to deposit them centrally. It's a very technical topic and It's mostly lawyers dealing with these things, but they have a lot of practical implications on your day-to-day handling of transactions. And so this is one area where I hope that, at least from a European standpoint, the regulators will tackle these issues rather sooner than later. Well, I definitely hope that they keep you in the room because it's clear to me that you you have a good understanding of this and they need to make sure that they get your opinion. (laughs) Thanks. Absolutely. I, I really appreciate that. So just wrapping things up, I mean, what is the future vision for BitBond looking like? 
the future vision is that we enable intermediaries and issuers and investors to take advantage of tokenization. I personally believe that tokenization is a great concept that includes a lot of people, a lot of retail savers, investors with asset classes that they earlier didn't have access to. So accessibility and inclusion is one big topic. And the way to make it happen is to bring this technology to issuers and to banks, to financial intermediaries, to lending platforms, so that they can utilize it. Because for many of these parties, this is a new technology. It seems quite difficult for them to use. They don't really know where to start. And, and we see it as our role to enable these parties. And in order not to having to understand all of the technical details, but to make it as easy to use as possible so that it has a much, much broader audience. And I think if we achieve that, on the one hand, we have achieved a lot of inclusion. And at the same time, I think we have achieved a lot for the financial services space as a whole by bringing much more efficient technologies to them compared to what they are using today. Man, well, that's exciting. And, and, and I'm with you. I, I definitely want to see this happen and uh, financial inclusion be opened up across the globe. Rodko, it was a pleasure speaking with you. Definitely learned a lot. And I'm sure that the listeners will walk away with a lot of information too as well. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Sam. It's been a pleasure. And thanks a lot for the great questions. And I hope everybody could gain something out of this conversation. Absolutely. And this is uh, Sam Connor, and we're signing off with Public Note. Thank you.